Bet365 sponsors StarCast. And with over 45 million members, they're the world's favorite online betting company. Did you know you can create personalized bets? So if you fancy Gladbach to clinch the last Champions League place ahead of Leverkusen next week, or Werder Bremen to edge ahead of Dusseldorf in the battle to stay up, Bet365's Bet Builder lets you create personalized bets and calculate the odds for any football match. Right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Hello and welcome to the StarCast bonus edition. In 2015, Bayern 04 Leverkusen midfielder Stefan Reinhardt and Jens Hegeler, also of Bristol City fame, developed their own football data analysis model to better evaluate the quality of players and teams. We've invited them onto the pod to learn how their data helps football teams scout players and why English fans love Frohn's so much. Stefan and Jens, thanks for coming on to the show. Now, there are many football data analysis companies out there, but none of them, to my knowledge, were founded by two professional footballers or former professional footballers. Tell me a little bit about how this idea came to pass. Yeah, basically, um, professional fo- footballers earn a lot of money, so it's not <laughs> it's not that it's their job to invent new new stats. Yeah, but as you as you told, it started like six years ago. Jens and me were professional football players for Bayer Leverkusen at this time, and I was invented to an yeah, event at the university, uh, sports university in Cologne. And it was about all the common stats that you basically know, like ball possession, running distances, um, yeah, winning yields and so on. And there was one takeaway after that evening, and this was all of these stats uh, have zero correlation to the end result. And this was like a little bit surprising for me. There have really no validity uh, to the end result. Yeah, this is uh, why we uh, thought about uh, creating, <laughs> creating new stats, creating new ideas. And this is why we yeah, had a phone call <laughs> in the evening and uh, thought of the uh, now um, packing concept. I mean, for those who perhaps aren't as familiar as the two of you and me with, with the concept, I think it might be worth summing it up once more t- one more time. It's about assigning value to to passes in terms of the number of players that are effectively bypassed in a game. The more you can do that, the more you can especially do that with defenders, the higher chance you have of winning and therefore uh, players who can both receive and make these kind of passes um, are valued highly and give you a better chance of winning. That is the concept in a nutshell. But as you said, you expanded on, on top of that. Uh, today you provide... Um, more more granular data. Can you give us a bit of an, an overview of what it is you're offering and also how clubs are effectively now uh, using your data? Start with you. Um, start with you, Stefan. Yeah, basically it's um, it's a software as a service business model. So we we have created a software platform for the people that are a little bit um, uh, deeper in in the in the scene. Perhaps no Wisecout, so you, you can imagine that it's quite similar to Wisecout, but it's not about video, but it's about data. Um, yeah, and it's it's used to to um, to scout um, uh, players from from markets that are quite difficult to scout, like South American markets. 
it's also used to yeah to to give a feedback to your own picture if you have seen the player perhaps our software can give you a good uh, feedback if you've seen him in in his best game or in his worst game and it's also used in the analysis part so from from head coaches from um, analysts to get a better feeling uh, why you win or why you lose and so uh, yeah some uh, a lot of questions that can be answered with the data any of those Hacking KPIs, so bypassing opponents, uh, in possession, removing opponents uh, through interception, they all itself have a very high um, correlation to the end result. And if we add them all together into one final packing score, there's a correlation, I think it's at the moment uh, 87%, so 80%, 87% of the games that are won are won by the teams that have a that have a higher total packing score, uh, score, as you can call it, so nearly 9 out of 10 games, um, which is the highest correlation towards the end result that we are aware of. For example, ball possession has a correlation of, I think it's 51% of the games are won by teams with more ball possession, which means at the same time, 49% of the games are won with less ball possession. Proof of concept of the nice thing about packing that it has a very high correlation. And it means if you have players that have a big impact on the packing score of a team, then they, they increase the probability to, to win games. When did you get the sense that what it is you're looking at actually has a validity and is valuable when it comes to analyzing both both teams uh, and players as well? Well, first, actually, we, we started by um, collecting data by ourselves for, for random games. And I think we started with a game with Madrid playing and specifically looking at Tony Kroos. And at some point during the game, because it took us hours to collect the data by ourselves and stop uh, in every situation, yeah, at some point we figured out, okay, the, the data actually reflects how we think the game went and uh, it, it showed that players were strong in different parts of the game and that uh, yeah and we had the same opinion about that and there was a first um, yeah positive feedback for ourselves actually that that the data reflected what we saw or what we thought about players the next step was actually that we presented the idea to our club at that time to buy leverkusen in general it's a very open-minded club and at that time they were open to that idea as well and asked us to analyze our own games based on this idea and obviously there was a and a positive feedback for us to you know, keep going and look a bit deeper into it. How did your own numbers stack up in midfield? Not good enough, probably. <laughs> <laughs> for most of the time, I wasn't a bench, so there wasn't much to collect. I think <laughs> Me too. Right. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Perhaps this was basically the motivation to invent some stats to um, to have an argument, but. Then we, when we had the stats, we, we've seen, oh, okay, now I know why I'm sitting on the bench, perhaps. Okay, so the next step after showing that to Leverkusen and after kind of getting proof of concept was what? I mean, when did it come from just being an idea to an actual business, Stefan? Yeah, exactly at this point, because um, before that, it was like yeah, thinking about something and um, get a feeling, get a feeling for, for the proof of concept and it wasn't the biggest motivation to to create a company or something like that so it could have been that we would have given it back to the university and say hey here we have a little proof of proof of concept please um yeah please uh, take it or think about it but it didn't work out that good uh, with the university so yeah at this point we've seen okay we have like one client with a positive feedback and we thought, okay, it could be, could be a market, uh, could be a market for, for, for data, it could be a market to, to make a product out of it. 
And like two or three months later, we had a um, meeting with Thomas Tuchel, who was in his first sabbatical, I think. And he also uh, gave uh, great feedback and, and loved the data and loved the approach. And yeah, after that, it was uh, clear for us that we had to make a business model out of it. And then you had your big breakthrough of sorts when a German state broadcaster took on your model for the Euro 2016. In the end, was that a big moment for the company or was it almost a problem because people were exposed to the idea without necessarily understanding it very well? Uh, Jens? Well, actually it was a bit of both to be fair. On the one hand, it gave us a lot of attention and yeah, as you said, it was like a public breakthrough um, for us and that was obviously very positive. And uh, on the other hand, I mean, you know that better than we do that On, on television, you don't have the time to explain in deep or in depth the packing concept. And so they just took small parts of the packing universe and presented it on, on television. And maybe to a certain level, they overused the data a little bit too much and um, might have been a bit annoying for some part of the audience if you hear day in, day out, you hear about packing and the, as if it would be something revolutionary. Yeah, on the one hand, it was good to to have the public breakthrough, but uh, on the other hand, we weren't able to tell the full story. And afterwards, it took us quite a while to speak to clubs and explain that packing is a bit more than just kicking the ball forward. And Jens, can you tell us what kind of clubs are using your data? Is that confidential? Every club. No, um, no it's, I think in, so far it's uh, 21 clubs that are using it. I think it's 17 in Germany at the moment. Paris is the first foreign club due to the German head coach. Um, yeah, we got Chelsea as the first club in the UK, which were bit proud of because there's no German connection or relation to it. Yeah, we're based in Germany and that's our main market yet and um, trying now to get a bit into foreign market to have a bit have a look into the UK and now I understand why Chelsea are interested in Kai Havertz, who's very good at passing. <laughs> yeah, it's not because he's a good player, it's just because uh, I do to our data. <laughs> But it leads me on to a question. I mean how how efficient in your mind is the transfer market? Um, what I mean by that is how do players' values and, and transfer fees and maybe their wages as well correspond to the values that you can assign to them? Uh, is there a strong correlation or is there wildly fluctuation between some players who are clearly worth their money? I mean, Tony Cross is, is an example you already mentioned. We all know that he's a fantastic passer of the ball. Uh, but some that perhaps are completely overlooked because they might not have the name or the status or they might be playing at a different league that doesn't quite get the same attention, uh, Stefan? So I guess Tony Kroos uh, was a 25 million pick. I think basically the, the transfer market could not, could not be that efficient if it's possible to, to make these, these kind of picks. So like Mainz 05 um, took um, Diallo for 5 million from Monaco and resells him for 30 million one year later to Borussia Dortmund. So I think that there are always some like market opp opportunities that you can take. So I think at some points uh, the, the the market is efficient, but at some points it's it's really not efficient, and there are a lot of opportunities. I mean, the problem is, is, is uh, it's, it's relevant to look at what you try to achieve with a transfer. Is it about reselling a player, like for example with Diallo, so find him very cheap and resell him very expensive? Or is it about to increase the probability to win games? And that these are obviously the two factors that are involved when you come, when you try to make a decision whether they should sign a player. And we feel that 
very often there are certain characteristics that are well I wouldn't say they're overpaid, but you know if you if you if you sign players with these characteristics like pace, a certain physical ability, um, and obviously they have a certain age, then you'll always get your money back. It's hardly it's hard to lose money if you have a winger who's rapid, even though he's not scoring, you still have the his abilities that and his ability that he's rapid. So there are certain characteristics that are valued very highly by the transfer market, but at the same time there are some characteristics that we think have a big effect on whether you win a game or lose a game and they're not valued in the same way and um, you'll you'll always have players that are a bit overseen because they are not quick because they're not physically that strong but still they have a big impact on on the game and uh, many examples like I don't know Arangis in Leverkusen who's like probably overseen for years he's, he's a constant starter at that club and uh, was running out of contract this summer and for some reason he never was able to get the well, make the next step and go to a bigger club. And that's probably one of the reasons because he's, he doesn't match these typical characteristics of a strong and quick midfielder. And um, something we think is uh, yeah, happening on the transfer market quite a lot. Is there, is there someone, Stefan, that you can think of that you would have tipped maybe two, three years ago and who's turned out exactly as good or perhaps even better than your system anticipated? Yeah, of course, there are a lot of young players that um, make a development. And basically, uh, from our stats point of view, we we try to measure like a performance right now. So by, by now, we're, we're not saying, okay, this player could be potentially a world-class player um, because it's uh, it's no fact um, and by now we we are more me- measuring in, in, in performance so like Konate from from RB Leipzig of course uh, is a potentially really really good player uh, but in his first league two season uh, we wouldn't have said that he could be a player um, playing on high Bundesliga level uh, one year later uh, but he did so of course these these young players um, um, there are sometimes um, huge developments in short times, um, but I think it's it's not that easy to say okay we were wrong or, or the de- development was was too fast or we were right. So I've like one example to 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 show you that it's not that easy to to say okay a player is overvalued or undervalued and that's Janis um, Horn. I don't know if you know him, Janis Horn. No. No, uh, was a player. Um, first club of Cologne uh, bought him for seven million uh, euro, like three or four years ago. A left defender who was twenty-one, uh, quite fast, and they they bought him or signed him for seven million. Um, then he played for Cologne, and from our stats point of view, he he didn't <laughs> he didn't play that good. And first club of Cologne went down to the second Bundesliga, but they had. I, uh, we've heard of that, that he uh, has uh, had an, an option to go to RB Leipzig for 17 million. And we thought, oh, <laughs> so we thought 7 million is too much. And now <laughs> they, they get, an, get an option to, to resell, him, uh, resell him for, for uh, 17 million uh, euro. So it's not easy to say that we were wrong or right, because from a performance side, we would have said, okay, this is a player why the club is going down to second Bundesliga because he was not good enough at that point. But in the same <laughs> situation, they get a higher, um, they get a higher option to, to resell him. That's what Jens uh, already said before. 
that we, we can't see every time if it if they sign a player to resell them for a higher uh, for a higher value or to to improve the team as we see it right now in the Bundesliga uh, most of the clubs just try to find players that they where they can earn money with yeah this is why they can be <laughs> right at, at some point but they can be also wrong uh, in, in, with, the, with the same player. And I think that's quite a good, uh, good example for that. Harry's sponsors Steilcast, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Jeff and Andy knew that there was only one way to ensure quality, so they bought their own factory. And now, by taking less profit, Harry's offers great quality products for a fair price. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five blade brands. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, weighted ergonomic handle, five precision engineered blades, rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. I've been lucky to receive a set recently, and I must tell you, not only does it look very cool, it's also an incredibly pleasant way to deal with three months worth of quarantine stubble. Thumbs up from me. As a listener of Starcast, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95 for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash Stahlcast right now. That's harrys.com forward slash Stahlcast. Sometimes you encounter people on, on social media who will say, well, this player so-and-so is only good because he plays in this team. Of course he's good. There's all these fantastic players around him. Um, it's easy for him to score goals. It's easy for him to to shine there. I mean, Thomas Müller is probably a good example for an English-speaking audience. Um, the amount of people who you know would have said over the years, well, he's just lucky to play for Germany, lucky to play for for Bayern. Um, apart from the fact that, of course, um, you have to be quite good if your team, a team of this this standard, will actually keep on playing you and 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 spending money on you. What is the statistical analysis of this type of situation is it possible to separate a player's performance from those of the team around them and of the quality that he that he plays with Jens well first of all he, he mentioned Thomas Müller earlier I think he said himself if you if you have always luck then it's not luck anymore then it's uh, your ability actually and I think uh, he's proof of concept himself that starting for Bayern since 10 seasons and had lots of different head coaches and all of them played him uh, at the end so, um, uh, yeah, I think you, 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 don't, you, you won't have luck over a long time um, in football, player as a team. Um, in general, I think, yes, of course, to a certain level, you depend on your teammates. It might be easier if you have a Lionel Messi in your team that you just give him the ball and he creates something, but then it's actually him creating something and he gets the, gets the value for it. And, we feel that well, the, the packing approach actually tries to yeah, tries to separate that and tries to give those players a credit that actually uh, have an effect for the team and that actually uh, makes things happen. And you know, at the same time, if you have good teammates, it means on the one hand, yes, it might be easier maybe to play more long if you have Lewandowski up front. But at the same time, if you have those players in the team, they demand lots of actions on the pitch because they want to have the ball constantly and they actually actually take moments away from you where you can create something so um, yeah we don't think players 
get away with it just because they're playing a better team and no one will recognize it. And from data point of view, it doesn't look to us like that. So good players are good players in the data and bad players are not. Uh, well, Jens, you played for Bristol City. I want to ask you about your England experiences in a second, but how is it possible for the system, if at all, to compare leagues? You know, we always, again, have a have a cliche that, for example, it says, well, scoring lots of goals in Holland, anyone can do that, any striker. Uh, if he comes to Germany or even to, to the Premier League, it's much, much more difficult. Is that actually true? Um, is there sort of a, a data value and quality that we can assign to leagues when we compare them? Well, to a certain level. Obviously, it is easier to score goals in, in the Eredivisie than it is in the Bundesliga. But that's because not all games in the Eredivisie are on the same level as a Bundesliga game. You, you have certain games, maybe against Ajax, against PSV, against Rotterdam, and maybe against Alkmaar, where you face opponents that, you would, that have the same level as a team in the Bundesliga. So, um, as a first step, it's interesting to see do teams, do players score or deliver against those teams that actually could play in the Bundesliga as well. Um, and on the other hand, obviously, you can compare them to players in their, in their competition. And if you compare Dutch players to Dutch players, then you get at least a picture of uh, how he's uh, um, yeah, performing in a, in a certain group compared to all um, players in his, in, his, in his competition. And as I said earlier, the other thing is obviously to focus on these games that are, ta that are taking place on a similar level to the one that you're facing in your own division. So if you sign a player from the Netherlands, as a German club, you probably focus only on those games that are taking place on Bundesliga level, which are not that many, to be honest, uh, in the Eredivisie, but at least some. And how does the, the Premier League compare to the Bundesliga, Stefan? Yeah, it's better, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> um, how much because, better? Uh, yeah, it, it, you, you cannot say it in one sentence, um, because um, I don't want to disrespect or give disrespect to Norwich, uh, because, uh, but because of Norwich, uh, the, the, the poorest club in the Premier League is, is quite similar to, to club number 16, I guess, in the first of, uh, first of Bundesliga, like Düsseldorf. Um, but the biggest difference is that there are so much top, top clubs in, in the Premier League. And also, most of the middle-class clubs in the Premier League are better than middle-class clubs in the Bundesliga. Mm, can you break it down into a number? I mean, can we say that the, the Premier League is, I don't know, 25% better than the Bundesliga? If we look at all the different You can say that on average, KPIs? of course, but, but I'm not sure if, this, um, yeah, if, it, if it's enough from an inside view uh, because that's what what Jens um, tried to say for, for the Eredivisie so if we look at the Eredivisie um, there are perhaps like four or five clubs that could play in the first Bundesliga then there are perhaps ten clubs who could play second Bundesliga and perhaps two or three clubs that are on on a level from the third league in Germany and we think that this uh, yeah, it's, it's the better approach to to get a get a view of the of the league, and not just the like hard fact like it's twenty percent better because it's yeah it doesn't give give you much insight. Okay, what does it mean twenty percent on average? Is it because Liverpool and Man City are that good, or is it because most of the clubs are a little bit better? Uh, one more question on this because I find it really fascinating. When you say that Norwich could could be compared to some of the lower sides in, in the Bundesliga. What does that mean? Does it mean that they're 
the numbers are comparable so are they this do they have the same problem defending creating chances is it like down to those sort of individual kpis for those all those important actions that happens on the pitch is that what you mean yeah uh, our, our basic approach approach is like uh, scouting and um, so if if you would scout the premier league from a, from a bundesliga club perspective um, then of course you can take data from all games but you know that there are like 12 games against man city liverpool chelsea um, Man United and so on and you know okay in, in the Bundesliga you have just like four games on this level um, against Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund and this is why it makes sense to like cut uh, cut some games and um, yeah the, the games against Norwich would be would be comparable to games against Fortuna Düsseldorf and so when I look from a from a Bundesliga um, perspective and I've seen okay there's a player making a good game against Norwich I could take as a takeaway okay then he might also be uh, able to make a good game against Fortuna Düsseldorf and between these two leagues like Premier League and Bundesliga the it's not that big from uh, there's no not that a big difference um, uh, like between the Eredivisie and the Bundesliga but it's that's quite interesting to to um, to make data comparable okay but I still haven't quite understood how you've done how you do it yeah um, so it's yeah different different approaches to do it um, so the, the best way is um, to to look at the betting market and to make like a like a world league and to look at the betting market to look at the the closing lines and to yeah make like a reverse engineering of these uh, closing lines because um, because they have a high um, validity uh, about the win percentages and then when we see like a game between Bayern Munich and Chelsea playing in the in the Champions League, we would have seen, okay, perhaps these two teams are on a quite same level, then we can see, okay, and Bayern Munich is perhaps have the same um, difference like to, to Fortuna Düsseldorf, like Chelsea to Norwich, then we can make yeah, like, a, like a world league and put all teams from Europe and, and the entire world into this hypothetical uh, league. Jens? Well, you have experienced both uh, Bundesliga and uh, the championship in your career, playing, as we said, for um, Bristol City before that had uh, Leverkusen and uh, Nuremberg as well. What, what are the big differences in terms of how the game is being played? And does that also then show up in the data? Well, first of all, my, my personal experience is obviously the, the, the obvious fact. We have much more games in the, in the, in the championship. We have 46 league games, and that, that has an effect on the, on the games that... Um, if you if you play so many games that the, the quality will go down and the, to a certain level will affect the, the packet data as well of players that obviously yeah they they, they go down a, a tiny bit in general that's my personal um, experience I felt that the audience had a much bigger impact on the game in the championship than it had in the in the Bundesliga because uh, well you have actually thirty thousand people fully focusing on the game and uh, watching the game and reacting on whatever happens on the pitch while in the Bundesliga you have that constant singing and that constant supporting of the of the team which um, is, is, is enjoyable but it doesn't affect you that much as a player as if 20,000 uh, yeah, in the UK get or 30,000 get, get nervous when you play a, a, a 
poor path. Um, so, uh, yeah, the amount of games that lead at some level then to less quality just due to your fatigue and uh, your, that you're not, not mentally fresh anymore. Then obviously the, the, the impact of supporters that are focusing way more on the game, that, I mean, they're sitting closer to the game. Every second game you, you have your fullback uh, getting kicked into the, uh, into the first row of the stand. And um, so, uh, yeah, the audience starts, they have a, has a big impact on the game and can, can push it. And something that I felt is, <laughs> is a big difference, actually, um, between the championship, at least, and the, the Bundesliga. I mean, I've never experienced the Premier League. And, and fans react to different things as well, don't they? There's certain idiosyncrasies in, in the English game, especially maybe in the championship, where they would celebrate something that you wouldn't necessarily be celebrated uh, for in the... In the Bundesliga, yeah, hundred percent. But that's obviously that's the, the the English way of watching the game. If you get a throw in, that the half of the stadium is celebrating the throw in, and well, Germany probably everybody would be disappointed that they just got a throw in and nothing else. So that's obviously yeah the, the English approach to the game, and uh, that they value throw ins more than than Germany probably. But yeah, in general, it's just that well, when 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 it, it always felt to me that they have a bigger impact on each player on the pitch when. Uh, whether it's uh, obviously giving energy to the players because they're they are, they are, they are excited about the game or um, frustrating the players because they are frustrated and they are very negative. And it just felt to me that that has a much bigger impact on each player because it, well, it felt as if, as if they were closer to the players and um, had a bigger impact. So, um, yeah, that yeah, was quite interesting and surprising for me, actually. So the best moment in any given game is somebody winning a tackle for a throw? <laughs> yeah then everyone's happy. The person winning the throw, the person winning the tackle, the audience. Exactly. Be, so the the fullback playing the ball down the line and everybody is celebrating it, as you said. The defender who's having a flagging tackle, the striker who's gaining his throw in for his team and even the coach is happy because you are playing forward. Um, the audience is happy and everybody's celebrating it, but nothing really happened. Huh? <laughs> That's a, from a German point of view, a very typical English uh, situation in the football game. Yeah. Stefan, I want to ask you, I mean, you were a very cultured midfielder, I think it's fair to say, um, not a blood and thunder uh, merchant. Do you think that um, maybe help, thanks to your data, but maybe also thanks to a different way of, of looking at the game, that certain qualities in midfield are being appreciated more um, like passing, like the ability to receive passes between the line. My feeling is that in Germany, we've always more looked at people scoring goals and doing big things rather than just looking after the ball well. Is that changing now, you think? I'm not sure about that. But I think we have like a highlight audience in, in Germany. So we, are, yeah, we, we, like, we like players uh, that, that score goals. We, uh, we like players that, that defend goals. Um, but I think like Tony Kroos and Mesut Özil had, had to fight for their position like for five or six years uh, when they were pl playing on international level. And uh, I'm not really thinking that it changed somehow. Um, and I also think that the physical aspect from the Premier League um, clubs or from, from English football um, is, is dominating the, yeah, the, entire, the entire football in, in Germany as well. And this is why everybody, uh, there are quite um, yeah, new role models like Leon Goretzka, who is making these deep runs and uh, who's bringing this dynamic aspect. And 
so in in my in my opinion it, it doesn't change that that the players like Tony Cross are still a little bit uh, undervalued because uh, yeah new role models are, are faster Alfonso Davis, Leon Goretzka, Timo Werner um, people like these kind of players. Well Thiago we could mention who's still not being I think fully appreciated in, in Germany didn't make it into the best midfielders or best attacking midfielders of kickers uh, year review, which was um, an interesting choice, uh, to put it uh, in neutral terms. One more thing I'd like to get your opinions on is this eternal debate between those who say possession, nah, meaningless stat, doesn't really matter, it's all about scoring goals, doesn't matter how you score goals. Passing is just a means to an end and we shouldn't really focus on it. Where's, what's your view of work? Because, I mean, you, you've made it your your life's work, or at least the system's work, to evaluate the importance of passing. If you bring it back to more, um, to a more ordinary number, if you will, just possession, which is just the amount of passes being played, is that a correlation? Does that strongly correlate with winning or is it ultimately meaningless? I would say it, uh, it's meaningless. It has no significant correlation to the end result and possession itself. Is, it's not relevant. It's not the goal to have as much possession as possible um, and because you're not more likely to win a game if you have the ball more than the opponent. And um, therefore, yeah, possession itself is not a relevant criteria that you should that you should measure that's relevant. If you have the ball 100% of the time, your opponents will not score. Well, that's with any data, then probably if you, if you win 100% of the duels, to certainly if you don't run at all then um, <laughs> obviously <laughs> it's tough to win a game but you, you will never have the ball for 100% of the time I mean it's simply impossible so it's part of the game but that itself is not the key to win the game maybe you can say like this having the ball is part of the game and you need to well, obviously have solutions when you're in possession but just having the ball itself is not the solution because it's more important where you have the ball and what you're doing with the ball but is it indicative uh, Stefan of a team playing well when they have possession because possession means the ability to pass and pass often no for me it's, it's meaningless of course um, most of the top teams have have a lot of ball possession but it's more like that it's the style of play that they that they have ball possession but if you would cut down the the ball possession from Bayern Munich that they should play on counter-attack uh, they also would would win the games so it's it's just yeah more style of play that uh, that the underdogs also lets them lets them play and Bayern Munich wants to have the ball. Um, but we've seen that it's for for a top team like Bayern Munich or Man City or something else. If they have less ball possession, they also have the same uh, win percentages. So it's not just an indicator, perhaps, but it's not the, the argument why they why they win the game. Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. 